Philippians chapter 1. Last week we jumped into the book of Philippians, noted that it was written by Paul to a church he started. Um, He was the first person there to share the gospel in AD 51, and about 10 years later he wrote this book. It's important to note that this is a book written from prison, right? It's especially important as we get into this next section that we're going to study together. And two big themes are pursuing Jesus together, partnership as Christians in the gospel, um, and then living with joy. So that's kind of where we were last week. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Why would he say that to them? He's in prison. Have you ever reassured someone you love that it's not as bad as they think it is? Right? From far away, I'm telling you, God is using this circumstance in our lives. I've had this conversation with some of you when I'm concerned about something going on in your life, and you're like, I'm telling you, it's hard, but God's doing some great stuff, and we're thankful for it. So he's reassuring them that, that what God is doing is good in his life, even though he's in prison. So that it became known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Here's his conclusion. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. There's that theme of joy again. So, somebody asked, are you going to connect that video with what what you're going to teach? Of course. Although I do have a video that I want to show you next week that has nothing to do with anything, but it's probably the most incredible thing I've seen in my life. Um, So, there's a a tease for next week. Um, So, maybe I'll pair that with a video that actually has some connection or meaning. Um, but I really did want to show that, but I stayed away from that this week. Um, life is greatly influenced by your perspective, by how you see things and what you see. That's why we need God's Word to transform our thinking. It matters how you see and what you see. Jesus said it this way. If your eye is single, if, it, if, you, if you are looking at what is good and right, if you are clear on what you're seeing, then your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is off, <laughs> you are in great darkness. So if we're seeing life and the world the way that God sees it, then our lives can be full of light. And if we are seeing it our own way, in our own human wisdom, without his uh, correction of our thinking, direction, shaping of our thinking, then we will be full of darkness. We will be confused. It won't make sense. Our perspective matters, right? So all those pieces of art that we looked at look amazing from the right angle. Have you ever seen optical illusions? I almost showed some of those. See, there would have been a connection. I almost showed some of those. Where something looks like it's 3D and then you turn it sideways and it's actually flat. Right? Or that dress. Was it white or gold or black and blue? Right? So there's color. There's 
How you see things matters. How you view things, if you want to say it that way. What we have in Philippians 1 is an amazing lesson in how you view your life. Because Paul is in prison. Right? Like, on the list of places I want to spend some time in my life. Not prison. It's not anywhere on my list. Now, I know what Matthew 5 says about suffering, and I recognize that we have brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for the sake of the gospel, and I, I respect and applaud them, and if that's what God calls me to, I'm, yes, I will go. But prison is about, you know, on the bottom rung of places I want to spend some time. And yet that's where Paul's writing from. A place of confinement, a place of separation, right? Paul was used to going into cities and sharing the gospel with whoever would listen. He'd go in the marketplace, he'd go by the river to to talk to people who were gathered, he would go anywhere talking to anyone about Jesus, and now his God's relocation plan for him is prison. But what Philippians 1 tells us is how we should view life from prison. What does Paul say? The first thing we see is how Paul saw imprisonment. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to do what? Advance the gospel. Now, for his readers... They would think in their own human wisdom and view, there's a lot better ways God could use Paul right now. I mean, there's some more cities that need churches. There's some more places he could take mission teams. There's some more things he could do. But God said, I've actually got a spot for you. It's in prison. Look through those next four or five verses. We'll do participation here. How did Paul, living life in the view of the gospel is advancing, What are some ways in the next few verses he says, it's actually good for me to be in prison, and here's why. Great, so he had an opportunity to talk about Jesus to some new people. He had a captive audience. That was was just waiting to come. I know all of you have thought that already. I mean, he was the captive, but he had a captive audience. These were probably not people that Paul would have met in his normal travels. They were his jailers. But he goes, they get to hear about Jesus. you imagine being Paul's jailer? There was a lot of talk about Jesus a lot of the time. And they heard. Who else? Or what else? How else did Paul's view that my life is about advancing the gospel, how else did it shape his imprisonment? What other good stuff was happening? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that a little. How many of you would like to do what I did this morning and stand up front and preach? Yeah, that's what I thought. But can I tell you something that would happen? If something happened and Danny and Kevin, myself, and Daniel, let's even throw Paul Folks in the equation, um, and Lloyd, were taken out of this room. Do you know what God would do in here? Some of you would become bolder. Why? Because God would change the circumstances and give you new opportunities. And I know that some of you are like, that would never be me. It might not. 
But there was actually increasing boldness because there was no Paul. Paul was such a central figure that now other people stepped into his place. By the way, the church, Jesus' church, is not leaning desperately on any one of us. Not one of us. That's why Jesus chose fishermen and tax collectors and regular people with no theological degrees. And that's why Paul told Titus, hey, there are these cities we just planted churches in. Go find the men that should lead those churches. They hadn't been to seminary. Now, that doesn't mean there's not value in education. There's not value in all those things. But there was a neat thing happening that people were stepping up and they were seeing Paul's suffering for what he's doing. It's okay for me. And if that happens to me, it won't be the end of the world. I tell people all the time, when we moved across the country from Indiana to Colorado, one of the most important life lessons that I learned in that big change was we didn't die. Like, there are those of us who are so held by our fear that we won't try because we think we might die. Can I help you? You won't. Like, if you go knock on your neighbor's door and bring them a plate of cookies and, like, somehow say something about Jesus, you will live. And so Paul saw increasing boldness in people as he was removed from the scene. Great. How else? Yes, Christy. Great. So God used Paul to bring light and hope into a place that probably wouldn't have much light and hope otherwise. I'm struck by... um, well, I'll hold off. Anybody else? Any other ways? I will not steal answers. Any other ways that Paul, seeing that his life was about advancing the gospel, shaped him in prison? Yeah, Brent. Yeah. So people could see suffering. Well, there's actually a reference to that at the end of the chapter. Look at verse 29. <coughs> actually, starting in verse 28. So one of the ways that we live in a way that fits the gospel is that we're not afraid and look at verse 28. So not, of, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you. And Paul's like a living illustration of this. For the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, so you see me suffering and not despairing and not... Um, not feeling lost, not wasting my life. You actually see me suffering well, and that's an example of suffering to you. Thanks, Brent. That was good. Anybody else? How did this shape Paul? How did seeing life through the gospel is advancing? Any other things in those verses we just read? 12 through 18? Is everybody that's taking Paul's place or competing with Paul to be the next, you know, missionary or whatever, are they all doing it for good reasons in a good way? No. There's some bad stuff going on in the name of telling people about Jesus. There's some guys who want to be the center of attention. By the way, this has not changed. There are spiritual leaders who crave attention and do things for wrong reasons. Can I help you? God has not called any of us to spend our lives fighting those people. Now, that does not mean that we shouldn't recognize false teaching or error. But there are a hundred, probably a thousand varieties of 
biblical Christianity. Now, there is, there is error and heresy too, okay? I'm not, not, not trying to muddy the waters. But what I am saying is, okay, we have uh, Brent's here. Brent's a church planner. That's why he gave such a good answer. He's a church planner up in uh, Farmington, right? Did I get that right? Okay. And we've been up there. They have a uh, church on Sunday night, so he's not skipping anything, but he's, he's just here this morning because he wanted to hear me preach. He heard I was preaching, and he actually didn't. He saw Danny wasn't here. He's like, oh, no. Um, so he's here, right? And their church is a little different than ours. And that's okay, right? And there are probably, you know, 40, 50 churches across the valley. Now, that's not nearly enough for a million people. But don't waste your life fighting those people. What does Paul say? What's the point? How does he see the world? Through the gospel advancing. So what's happening when God's word is open, when it's preached, when people are talking about Jesus in a way that is faithful to the word, regardless of what's driving them, what's happening? The gospel is advancing. And so Paul can rejoice. Anything else you see in these verses? Here's the last thing that hit me. Look at verse uh, 13. So that it has become known, Gideon mentioned this, throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Who are all the rest? Let me ask it this way. Are the only people in prison jailers and guards? Who else is in prison? How else does prison function? I mean, again, not a lot of experience here, but how else? Other prisoners. Okay, other prisoners. Who else? Cooks, right? Yes. I don't know, quality cooks or not, but cooks, yep. Who else? Yeah, people that we hope, maybe not. Janitorial, electricians, right? Maintenance guys, not electricians here, I get it. Some of you are like, not accurate. <laughs> Repair guys. I, I think this extends through the jail. It also extends to people who are hearing about Paul's imprisonment. It, it extends to everything that Paul's life is touching. Can I just encourage us? Our life is about the advance of God's kingdom and the good news of Jesus and salvation from sin. And you may be in an amazing job, in an amazing place, and you may be in prison. But, but can I tell you what the Great Commission says? As you are going, share the gospel and make disciples. And so Paul goes, actually, prison, I wouldn't pick prison, but it's a good place for me to be. Doesn't that shape the way we think about really wherever God has put us? I mean, we have a two-year-old. Sometimes my wife feels like she's in prison. She is at home in a two-bedroom apartment, sometimes without a car because we're a one-car family, in 1,100 square feet with a two-year-old. Sometimes that's kind of like the definition of prison. God's doing good things. He's advancing the gospel. I'm sitting in the car the other day. My son is in the back seat. He loves to sing. 
ish, singing ish. Um, what was he singing? Something about Jesus' love and that he, I think it, was, it wasn't Jesus loves me, but it was something along those lines. And then he was adding words, as two-year-olds do. Jesus loves me and daddy and mommy. For the Bible tells, it doesn't, he's completely lost time. For the Bible tells me so. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, Jesus died for you and me. H, I, J, K, L, M, N, Jesus died for sinful men. Do you know what's happening in that little prison of a 1,100 square foot apartment? The gospel is advancing. Right? Mom? Dad at work? Grandma and Grandpa? This is life. Tammy, did you make it? Through the whole week with the four kids? Yeah. And you know what's happening? Grandma came in for a week while the Inafukus are in Hawaii. And the gospel is advancing. Can I just plant one other thought in our minds? What advance have we actually tied the success of our life to? Can I ask that a different way? If you were honest in your own heart, what have you actually tied success in advancing to? In other words, how I actually view life is through the advance of my career. How I actually view life is through the advance of my checkbook. How I actually view life is through the advance of my family. How I actually view life is through the advance of my hobby. You see what I'm saying? Because if Paul is evaluating his life on any of those things, he feels very differently in prison. And if you are evaluating the success of your life on the advance of any of those things, then you're missing the biggest thing that God has actually called you to. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that those things don't matter. I'm not saying that you shouldn't invest in those things and give your best effort to those things, and I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this is the big thing. Is the gospel advancing in my own heart? And is it advancing into the places where God has me? So it goes on. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is way better. Isn't that true? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. 
in prison, viewing life through the progress of the gospel. We talked about that. Can you just pick out some positive ideas in those verses we just read, like a word or two that is a good one? As Paul's talking about his mindset in prison, how he views life and death. What are some encouraging words in there? Rejoice, right? Right there, that uh, fourth or fifth word, if I can count. Five. Yes, and I will rejoice. Good. What else? Yeah, Christ is going to be honored no matter what happens in my life or death. What else? I see all of you looking. I'm encouraged. I mean, I think you're looking at your Bibles. Unless there's a good app on your phone. I know. Or maybe you're looking at your Bible on your phone. It's good too. Or just some positive words or phrases in there. Yeah, progress and joy in the faith. It's good. What else? Fruitful labor. Yeah, there's fruitful work to do. What else? Okay. Yep, cause to glory in Jesus, verse 26. Okay, being with Christ. That's a good one. In fact, Paul says it's way better than being here. That's not death wish. That's not like, you know, evil or suicide. It's just like heaven is, that's going to be great. I love you all, but that's going to be great. What else? There's some more. Verse 20, hint. He has eager expectation. He has hope. Right? He's not ashamed. And he actually lives in between these two conflicting thoughts, doesn't he? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, as we walk with Jesus, that's, the, that's what we should live in. We should live in this tension. That's how we should view life. There's fruitful work for me to do. There's an abundant relationship with Jesus I can have. There's an influence I can have for the gospel in other people's lives. But man, eternity sounds amazing. I heard somebody say once that as Americans, we actually live in the reverse a lot. For to me, to live is gain and to die is Christ. It's true, isn't it? Get what I can get out of this life, but when I die, I have Jesus. So Paul lives in this tension between life and death. And then lastly, how should we see living the gospel? It's interesting here. Even though we saw Paul sharing, it's actually not his point here in verse 27. Look at this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The way I live fits with how amazing the good news of Jesus is. So that whether I come to see you or are absent, I may hear of you. Here's three things. You are standing firm in one spirit. With one mind, here's the second one, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And verse 28, not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
That's what it looks like. It's interesting. The first section that we studied ended with three ways to pray in verses 9 and 10 for partners in the gospel, and verses 27 through 28 tell us three ways to live. Stand firm. Have courage. Trust the God who is wise and good. Stand firm. Together, right? Strive together. Work hard at it. The planting and watering and sharing the gospel, they take effort, right? Being a healthy church family and, and working through our frustrations and sins against each other and, and having a healthy marriage, there is a striving. You, you can't take that out. It's part of it, right? So, so get in, you know, that idea of a yoke, right? Just get in, get in there together and let's plow. Let's push. Let's work. Let's clean together. <laughs> let's hang door hangers together. Let's strive against sin together. Let's, let's grow to a place where we can confess our faults to each other and pray for each other. Let's rejoice together and, and cry together. Let's, let's work at it together. And then don't be afraid. Verse 28. Not frightened in anything. I get frightened. Do you? I'm fearful. Are you? As we live out what it means to know and have and live in the good news of Jesus. We don't need to live in fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. So this is what partnership looks like and joy, even in prison. I don't know how much your life feels like prison right now. Hopefully not too much. Maybe it does sometimes. How do you view it? What are you seeing? What is the advancement? What is that? What's that to you? It should be, what's Jesus doing and how can I advance his kingdom? And then we live in that tension, life and death. But with, with Jesus, there's hope. And we don't have to live in fear. Lord, thank you for your word and for the book of Philippians. I pray that it would keep challenging us. Thank you for all these partners that we have in the gospel. It's even great um, to see Brent today and, and think about their church up there and I know the folks have a great relationship there and they're just encouragement and partnership and, and it's, it's not always easy. In fact, a lot of times it's hard, but we're thankful that we have each other and ultimately that we know that you have started a good work in us and you're going to continue it until the day of Christ. And so we can rejoice no matter where we are, no matter how it's going, if we keep our eyes on you. Lord, help us like Peter, even as we get out of the boat, not to get our eyes on the waves, even as real as they are, but to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.